And this morning, we're going to be looking at the gift of teaching. And there are just a few references of Scripture that I want to ask you to turn to, that I just want to talk to you about before we look at the teaching time this morning. And the first one is just to go back to James chapter 3, the passage that Pastor Stephen read for us earlier. I just want to go back there and look at the immediate context and how these principles are certainly applicable to what we're talking about today in the gift of teaching. But the writer of Scripture begins this passage. You probably remember this verse being read earlier. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. And then he goes on to talk about the fact that teachers are going to be judged with a greater strictness. And then verse 2, which is a part of the same paragraph, there's no transition of paragraphs. He just goes right into talking about stumbling. And then from there he talks about bridling the whole body and bits in the mouths of horses. And we have this wonderful teaching then on the tongue. And often I think if we're not careful, we will jump right into looking at the passage from a broad application perspective. And that is that all believers need to be careful with what they say. We would all agree with that and how they say it and that we should be controlling our tongues. And while a broad application of the text is is not wrong, I think that we need to understand and know that the context begins with those who teach. It is very important that those who teach pay attention to what they say. I think there's a couple of reasons. First of all, you could say that that's important because they're the ones who are disseminating truth. And the way that they do that, the way they use their words, is critical to the process of teaching. And there are various things that someone with that influence of having the gift of teaching and standing before people and teaching them has. And so you have to be careful with your words. The other way to apply this to the teacher is that his life outside or her life outside of teaching is important as well. So you don't want a teacher who stands in front of people and teaches Scripture who doesn't know how to use their tongue wisely because it's a discredit to their teaching. I think you can look at it in the immediate context, perhaps in both of those ways, and do justice to the text. But don't just jump right to a broad application. Don't forget the context. And so as we talk about the gift of teaching, it is critical for us to remember the passage like what we have in James 3, although we will not exposit James 3 this morning. I had it read for that reason, that it would be a sobering reminder to us that these things are important and critical as we talk about those who have the gift of teaching. Also important for us to remember, and a passage that is not strange to us, it's very familiar, is that one found in 2 Timothy. Let's go back over to 2 Timothy chapter 3 again this morning. The last time we were together, we also looked at this passage, but I want to go back there and then one more in Paul's first letter to Timothy, 
And then we'll look at our study this morning. But it is good for us to be reminded as we talk about the gift of teaching, reminded of these things. Look at verse 16 with me. All Scripture is breathed out by God. It's inspired by God. And, and don't forget, it's the Scripture that's inspired. It's not people who are inspired, but it's Scripture. God gave His inspired Word through human writers by the Holy Spirit, but they weren't inspired. The Bible is what is inspired. It's breathed out by God. And it's profitable. I think we would conclude and all agree this morning that anything that is breathed out by God is profitable, right? It has to be. But what is it profitable for? The very first thing on our list, right, ties us in with what we're talking about this morning. It is the idea of teaching. That is important. That is uh, what is important to us today because we're talking about this gift. So the Bible is profitable. It ought to be the source document for all of our teaching. We're going to talk to those who have the gift of teaching and also to those who listen to teaching this morning. It ought to be the source document. And it also ought to be the measuring stick for all teaching. So if you hear someone teach and they never refer to the Bible, you have to kind of question their source, right? You have to kind of wonder about where is this coming from? If it's not found in Scripture, where is it coming from? And then anything that is said as coming from Scripture needs to be consistent with the teaching of Scripture. And by that we mean Scripture must be handled correctly so that the real sense of Scripture and the real meaning of Scripture is what is being taught and not someone's private interpretation or misunderstanding or mishandling of the text. So this word, this inspired word, is profitable for our teaching and reproof and correction and training in righteousness. The end result of that is that we would be competent and equipped for every good work. And then I want you to see something else that's important. Paul writes to Timothy back in his first letter in chapter 4. He is uh, exhorting Timothy and, and giving him some good teaching. He's talking about his youth back in verse 11. He uh, challenges him in verse 12 to be an example in these areas. And then he says to him, Timothy, until I come, this is 1 Timothy 4.13, until I come, devote yourself. What, is he, what does he want Timothy to devote himself to, which involves the church? We know that because of the words that are used. Devote yourself as the leader, Timothy, to what? To the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. And then he goes on to talk to Timothy personally about the gift that he had received when the council of elders laid hands on him. But he says to him, you give yourself, Timothy, you lead the church well in the public reading of Scripture, in exhortation, and also to teaching. So when we look at that, we understand that this gift of teaching is critical to the health of the church, as it is accurate and consistent with God's Word. It may be the single most critical thing that we have as an assembly when you think about it. 
because it is why we gather. We gather around the Scriptures, and everything that we do in this worship gathering should be held up to Scripture, and the Scriptures should be dictating our practice and our belief system in every way. And the only way that we can do that and do it well is if we understand the Scriptures. And obviously that makes the point that they must be taught to us. They must be taught. And then as we hear that teaching, we must receive them well. And we're going to talk about that a little more as we carry on in our time in the Word today. But I want us to be reminded today of this critical aspect that those who do teach serve in a critical role. And before you decide that you want to exercise the gift of teaching, take to heart the warning and exhortation that we read earlier from James chapter 3. This is serious stuff, especially when you consider that the church is the pillar and the ground of truth. We are the foundation and the underpinning of truth, and it's our job to, to preserve that and propagate that. And we can only do that if we're in the Scriptures, if we know the Scriptures, if we're understanding them well, if we're teaching them accurately and well. And then, of course, if we allow them through the Holy Spirit to have any kind of impact in our lives at all. So what we're talking about today is really the lifeblood of the church, this gift. These who have the gift are important and, and certainly uh, should be listened to as they are accurately handling the scriptures and they ought to be encouraged and and we ought to see those who have this gifting as treasures and then also those who have the gift must be very careful very careful that they are handling the scriptures well and living them out too so let's talk uh, for the remaining of our time i want to talk to you about this gift of teaching that the Holy Spirit gives. And the first thing we're going to look at today together is understanding it, trying to define it and put a face on it, if you will, so that we can understand it, we'll know it when we see it kind of a thing, and we understand it well. Someone put it this way, teaching is instructing members in the truths and doctrines of God's words for the purpose of building up, unifying, and maturing the body. I like that. Because it takes it beyond just an intellectual exercise. You know, as I, as I began to think about the teaching gift, I, I thought about the various teachers who I've had in my life. And uh, just to get us thinking about this this morning, how many of you would say that if you had to make a list of the top five influential people in your life, at least one of them would be a teacher? Anybody in that category with me? How many would say more than one of them would probably be a teacher, right? So they, they are people who have an impact and are important in our lives. And, and I, I think of a, uh, an older gentleman that I had in my undergrad experience in teaching at, at one of the Bible colleges that I went to. And I think he may still be teaching a little bit, but he was old when he was teaching me. So he has to be really old now, or at least I thought he was old when he was teaching me. Dr. Ernie Childs, and he would teach us things. He, he had a way of teaching them so they were interesting. But he always took it to another level because he didn't want the environment in the Bible college to just be academic. 
he understood that he had to deposit into us those of us who were going to go out from under his teaching one day and hopefully do teaching ourselves in public settings. Many of those uh, young men are in some form of teaching, preaching ministry today. And he knew that that's what was coming. And so he wanted us to catch this idea that learning the scriptures is not just academic. It should be academic. It should reach the intellect, but it should also impact the life. And so his concept, even in teaching, when he would teach through different things in the Old Testament that that you would look at and go, what can I get out of that? He was always very careful to somehow draw practical applications that made sense and that handled the Scriptures well because he wanted us to understand how our teaching, Old Testament or New, was for the purpose of maturing the body and helping them to grow. So we had to make it practical. I remember there were times and. and if you've ever been in that setting, you know sometimes those days can get very long when you're sitting in multiple classes every day, taking notes and studying things. And he would always do things to, to get our attention. I remember one time we had pianos, I think, in every classroom at that Bible college. Uh, they had a, a tremendous church music program, so they had pianos everywhere. And he decides, he decides that he is going to get up on top of the piano bench in one of those classrooms while he was teaching. And so he does this to make a point, not for showmanship, not so that we would remember him, although none of us ever forgot that, I'm sure. But he was making it interesting and helping us to grow so that we could help other people to grow. And that's what we're talking about today. We don't want people to just wow us with their intelligence. That's not why we come and gather around the Word. It's so that we know who our great God is and that we're in awe of him and so that we will grow by learning his truth and those with the gift of teaching participate in that process with us. Someone else said one without this gift can understand the Bible as he hears or reads it, but he cannot explain it as one with the gift can. Although it can be developed, the spiritual gift of teaching is not something that can be learned or acquired as with a college degree. How many of you remember those kinds of teachers, right? They had all the education in the world, but they couldn't teach their way out of a wet paper bag, right? They just didn't have it. They were educated maybe, but they didn't have the gift of teaching. And so we're not saying that they're not valuable or they can't make valuable contributions. Of course they can, but we all know and recognize, I think, those who have not just the academic credentials, but who have the gift of teaching. And that's what we're honing in on today. It's not something that we can acquire on our own. This giftedness of teaching, as far as it being a treasure to the church, is truly something that the Spirit gives people. It's not something that we learn by going to college necessarily. Although the college experience, undergrad and graduate school alike, can certainly enhance it. The origin of it comes from God. This idea of teaching is that Greek word, you've heard it before, didaskalos. It truly is talking about instruction. It means to instruct. And those who have this gift are going to love to study God's word for extended periods of time. They will get lost in the scriptures, if you will, as they immerse their minds and their hearts in, in preparing for teaching. These with the gift have a passionate purpose to know God and make his word known to others in an effective way. They have the gift of teaching. 
They also find joy in seeing others understand and apply Scripture. It's what makes them tick. It is truly what they live for as they glorify God with their gift. They're not making an idol out of their gift, but they truly have joy in serving God for His glory through the utilization of their gift. And those with this gift of teaching will often find themselves with a strong dislike for the mishandling of Scripture. They're the ones who will see someone preaching or hear someone teaching and they'll be able to pick out the error in the teaching if there is any because they have studied well and they understand well and they can see and, and identify false teaching very quickly. Those with the gift will be characterized by these things as well as others, but these are some of the highlights as we try to ascertain whether or not we have the gift. Today we want to learn from Jesus as far as him being a teacher. I think we have all heard Jesus referred to as the master teacher. And I've just put some things together from the life and experience of Jesus that I think will help us to see how we can be good teachers, but also so that we can identify good teachers in our own journey. You see, there's always something in these messages uh, that we can take from God's Word and apply to our life, whether or not we have the gift. And I want you to look for those things this morning as we go through this encouragement from the life of Jesus. If you have the gift of teaching and you're utilizing the gift, use these things to encourage yourself and enhance your own ministry of teaching. But when Jesus taught, he certainly would speak with authority and he confronted erroneous thinking. Now, let's stop and ask ourselves a question, how and why could he do this? The answer, of course, is that he was speaking under the authority of his father. And everything that he was teaching and saying was going to line up with Scripture it was not his own thinking. Jesus did not come to this earth with his own message. He didn't come with his own words. He came, as we understand and know, to seek and to save that which was lost. And he made it very clear that he was here about his father's business, that he was here to accomplish his father's will, and that truly what he spoke was indeed to glorify the father. And in obedience to that one who is his father, he spoke with authority and confronted erroneous thinking. The same is true for us today. Those, especially with the gift of teaching, can speak with authority if they're speaking consistent to the Scripture. They can speak with authority. They can confront error, not based on their own thinking, but rather God's thoughts. So Jesus gives us examples of this. He says, You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, Do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. And he goes on to talk about this and talking about the heart and, and not uh, judging someone in your heart and, and really committing murder without going through the act. And then verses 27 and 28. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Here he is boldly and authoritatively speaking truth into erroneous thinking that was very legalistic and only emphasizing the outside while leaving the heart alone. 
And Jesus says, wait a minute, that's the wrong way to look at this. And I'm here to speak with authority as I teach you that, yes, you might think that it's okay that if you stay away uh, from killing someone physically, but, boy, with your thoughts and your words, you can commit that sin. And the same with moral purity. You, you may not physically commit the act of adultery, but, boy, you can sure do that in your thoughts and in your mind and in your motives. You can do that in your heart with both of these sins. In this context, Jesus corrects this faulty thinking and speaks with authority and helps us to see that the inside is truly important. While we don't speak with our own authority, we do speak with God's authority, those who teach. And we should unashamedly do so even if it is thought to be un. Popular. Don't forget those words in 2 Timothy. Paul was calling Timothy into this kind of teaching ministry. He says, you continue in what you've learned and firmly believe. He talks to him about the knowledge of salvation that came from the Scriptures. And then he says to him, these things that have been given to you in the Holy Scripture come from God. They're inspired. And teach, rebuke, correct, and train in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now these things would not be popular in Timothy's time, and they're certainly not always popular in our time. The things that rebuke and correct and train specifically. But this is where that one with the gift of teaching exercises the gift with boldness, even if it isn't well-received and isn't popular. That emphasizes the importance of this gift in the church. Without this kind of gifting and without those who are bold enough to stand and proclaim truth, whether it's received as being popular or not, the church will be wayward. The church will find itself going down a path to error and destruction. So, as you utilize the gifting, do so with authority. Be consistent with Scripture. Be willing to go against culture, if you will, even inside the church. And if you're one receiving the gift, receive it well, even if it isn't popular teaching. If it's truth, receive that teaching well and live it out in your life for the glory of God. Jesus spoke with this kind of authority and boldness and corrected erroneous thinking. He also would use relevant stories, wouldn't he, to illustrate and to teach truth. We find one of those, and I've chosen this because I want you to be encouraged today, and I want you to use this to encourage others. But he comes to, in his ministry, he's telling a story like what he does in Luke 15. He also said a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to him, and not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him onto his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the carob pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him any. And when he came to a census, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food, and here I am dying of hunger? 
I'll get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired hands. So he got up and went to his father. While the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. So here we have the story, the beginning of the story of what is often referred to as the prodigal son. And Jesus is telling the story of, of course, as we just read, of this young man who wanted his inheritance. And he goes and finally, after he's wasted everything, he comes to his senses. He comes back to his father and his father welcomes him. And then the son says this to his father. Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his slaves, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. And let's celebrate with a feast because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants and asked what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him, and he replied to his father, Look, I've been slaving many years for you. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight... I I hit the wrong button. I've served many years for you, and I have never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who was devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Son, he said to him, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Jesus telling a story to illustrate spiritual truth. We learn a lot here about our great God and his compassion and his love and his willingness to restore his his outstretched hands to welcome those who have wandered away back. Uh, Obviously those who, who need to know him as their father and Jesus as their savior are welcome regardless of the life that they have lived. Those who already belong to the family who wander, commit sin and come back, God is waiting to restore. And of course, the words to the older son speak loudly to us today that as we live our lives and mingle with other believers, imperfect as they are, that they too would be welcomed by us in the way that the father wished the older son had done and indeed teaches him to do in his response stories this one is full and i don't know where you are today i don't know if you have wandered perhaps you look back over the last week and you see steps of disobedience that you have taken receive the teaching well this morning come back to your father and through repentance be restored to him just as david who gave us those very familiar words in psalm 51 using stories to illustrate and teach truth. Maybe you're not good at coming up with your own stories as a teacher. That's fine. The scriptures are full of them, like this one. And this is a truth that needs to be taught well. As Jesus would teach, 
he would also boldly recommend extreme measures. You look at some of his teachings and you go, wow, that's kind of radical. But as a good teacher, he would make these recommendations and teach his followers because he knew that for the sake of holiness, he would speak vividly and convincingly to them. So we come to Matthew chapter 5. Again, a great lesson for those with the gift. What does he say in Matthew 5? He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Do what is necessary in your pursuit of a relationship with God for the sake of holiness. Jesus makes these extreme recommendations to arrest people's attention and cause them to think about how important a right relationship with God is. And then in Matthew chapter 7, he calls us to, to think about it vividly in our own relationships with others and he uses a, a wonderful word picture here why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye but don't notice the log the plank in your own eye or how can you say to your brother let me take the speck out of your eye and look there's a log in your eye hypocrite first take the log out of your eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye so indeed Vivid teaching, the recommendation of extreme measures, all for the sake of holiness and the passionate pursuit of a right relationship with the Father. In our teaching, we shouldn't just use words like this for shock, value, or entertainment, but rather we should be using them for, to help others and spur them on in their pursuit of holiness. That was always the goal and motivation of Jesus. There are a lot of things that are being done today to shock people and impress people, to fill seats in worship centers. You, maybe you've seen some of these controversial teaching series that have been done. And when you look at the sum and substance of many of them, it has very little to do with holiness and passionate pursuit of God. And it has more to do with shocking people to gain their attention and draw a crowd. Jesus didn't do it for that reason. He did it to spur others on to holiness. He also made statements that stuck in the minds of his hearers. These things were memorable. In Luke chapter 6, he gives us some of those. He says, do not judge and you will not be judged. That's easy to remember. In fact, a lot of us remember that, and many of us would quote it out of context if we were not careful. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. That, those two verses are full of those memorable statements. And indeed, a good teacher will seek to be memorable, not for their own sake, but for the sake of truth. Luke chapter 6, just as you want others to do for you, do the same for them. Often called the golden rule. One pastor put it this way, memorable is portable. Think about your words and how you say them, what words you will use. Put them together well. Why? 
Because if they can remember it, it will travel well and change them. Memorable is truly portable. That's the goal. Getting people to remember truth and apply it to their lives. Jesus would also ask questions that would motivate deeper inquiry and learning. Some of the most memorable learning situations that I've ever had were from professors and teachers who would ask questions and then not give us the answers, right? That was what really drove us to study and learn. I've said it on a few occasions, and I imagine that I'll keep saying it, but as we come to our Wednesday evening study, it's an interactive study, and we encourage people to do the work and the study ahead of time, and then we look into it together on Wednesday evenings, very similar to the men's Bible study. And uh, I've told the, the Wednesday night group on a few times that there's one thing I don't have. Anybody remember what it is? I don't have spoons. I don't bring spoons with me. Because I want the people to dig the truth out of the Scripture and study it. It's a light reference to not spoon-feeding people, right? So it is the idea to get people interested. And we will ask questions in those studies, in those guides, that drive people to study and to learn and to know truth. Jesus did that better than anyone else. It's interesting uh, he was perfect in his teaching because he could actually see into the heart of people. How many of us teachers would love to be able to see do that? Well, maybe after a day of that, we would all decide it wasn't such a good idea. But Jesus had it. He had that ability. And so in his teaching, he would ask questions that he knew his audience needed to hear. Now, we may not have that same ability, but we can certainly learn from his methods and utilize them in the expression of the giftedness all for the good of the body. So Matthew chapter 5, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? There is a great question, causing people to think. Now, we won't unpack all of this today, but when you look at, at this idea of salt losing its saltiness or losing its taste, there's an interesting fact there. Salt doesn't ever lose its saltiness. It always remains salty. You can't take salty out of salt. It doesn't happen. So that can't be what Jesus is talking about. What is he talking about? Well, there's a cultural thing going on here in the text, right? It talks about being thrown out and trampled on by men. There's something that happened in the culture there. When you ask questions, you get people to dig in a text, they're going to learn things like that. Well, in this case, somehow the salt had been compromised and had been mixed with something to the point where it couldn't be separated, and so it was no longer used as currency in some cases. It would be used as currency, and in other cases, of course, for the natural uses of salt. But if the integrity of the salt is compromised and it's mixed with something, it's no longer good for its intended purpose. What would they do with it? Well, they would use it to kill vegetation in the walking paths, and they would throw it out on the walking paths and kill vegetation to keep it clear, thus being trampled on by men. Asking questions, getting people to read and understand and learn Scripture well. Jesus did it to perfection. Look at Matthew 6. He says, look at the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? 
Again, another question, the answer revealing truth and being very beneficial to the hearers in teaching a lesson. Matthew 6:27. can any of you add a single cubit to his height by worrying? I mean, Jesus could have just told us in Matthew 6, stop worrying. But then he shows us that worrying is useless by asking a simple question, perfectly modeling the gift of teaching and truly a lesson for all who would do the same. Next of all, Jesus would use repetition. He did so in Mark 8, 31, and, and following in chapters 9 and chapters 10, he repeats this thing. Uh, this son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, be killed, and rise after three days. And then in 931, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after he is killed, he will rise three days later. And then in chapter 10, verse 33, he says, We are going to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. They will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And he will rise after three days days repetition over and over again the same message that pointed people to jesus and his resurrection all three contained that element as well as sharing some of the others in three consecutive chapters in mark jesus using repetition to teach a lesson and finally as a teacher jesus would perfectly practice what he preached didn't he and that's the goal of all of us, and all of us wish that we could do that, and we know that we can't and we struggle with it because we all have weaknesses and we all sin, but Jesus would preach and he would teach things, and then he would live them out. Like Luke 5, he would teach his disciples about prayer, but he also did it himself, yet he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. That was Jesus, the Savior of the world, understanding and experiencing and modeling the importance of prayer and practicing what he taught to his followers. Matthew chapter 9, he was reclining at the table in the house and many tax collectors and sinners came as guests to eat with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when they heard this, he said, those who are well don't need a doctor, but the sick do. Jesus taught about love. Jesus taught about seeking and saving that which was lost. Jesus, it was said of him that he died for the sins of the world. He models this and is consistent to biblical teaching in his lifestyle and wasn't afraid, even though the religious elite objected strongly, he wasn't afraid of eating with sinners. Now, do you have the gift of teaching? We've looked at some things that characterize teachers. We, we look at Jesus as an example, and maybe you look through there and say, yes, these are the things that I love to do with truth. Let me give you some things that may be helpful to continue to ascertain this gift. We may have it if we have the ability to study a passage of Scripture thoroughly and effectively explain it to others. We may have it if we're motivated to research the challenging and difficult passages in the Bible so that they may be explained well to others, believers and unbelievers alike. We might have it if we experience others being blessed and helped 
by our teaching. It's actually effective when we speak truth into the lives of others because we can communicate well the truth and it further puts a stamp on the fact that we truly have the gift. We may have it if we're organized in our thinking and systematic in our approach to presenting prepared lessons to others. And if we experience joy when others grow as a result of the teaching. I want to close by just looking at a few verses to remind ourselves of the goal of all of this. It will be a good reminder to teachers, but it will also be a reminder to those who hear teaching. I've tried to build both of those things into our time together today, and to further that, I want to close by asking you to join me in James chapter 1. I just want to read verses 22 to 25. I'd like for you to follow along with me. This is the goal. Every teacher should have as their goal to affect their listeners in this way by making truth practical. And everyone who listens to teaching should never leave a session of teaching without considering the truth in these verses and how it can be applied. Look with me. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being... uh, being no hearer and forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Avoid the trap of just listening without doing and seek to apply truth. You're going to hear some truth as you go to your Sunday school gatherings here in a few moments. What are you going to do with that truth? You come back this evening, you're going to hear some truth. What are you going to do with that truth? The challenge for us on Sundays is is simple. We get inundated, don't we? You're going to hear this message right now. You've just heard it. You're going to hear something else in Sunday school. You're going to hear something else at the 530. And probably on a normal Sunday, all three of those experiences are different, aren't they? They're different. They're not the same. So you're going to be given a collection of truth today that in many ways is unrelated It may have some overlap. The Spirit can do that. But in many ways, it's unrelated. They're different studies. They're different topics. And it could be compared, I suppose, to drinking out of a fire hydrant every Sunday, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. That's what we do. So our challenge is, right, how do we harness that? How do we take all of that in and, and be good stewards of it when there's so much to remember? I know that's challenging. I get it. I understand it. I live it with you. But let's meet the challenge. Individually and personally, let's find a way to keep track of it, to apply it to our lives, to measure it in some way, to see that we're growing so that God is glorified. What we don't want to do is to look into the mirror and see something that needs to be addressed 
and leave that experience forgetting what needs the work. Let's remember. And for us individually, it may be a different way, but let's find that way and let's be good stewards of the truth that God has given today. Father, we thank you for truth. There's a lot of it in Scripture, and we're going to hear a lot of it today. This morning now, Sunday school later, 5.30 if we attend there. Help us to be good stewards of it. It's a lot to think about, a lot to take in. But may it stick. May it go deep into our hearts. And may it change us for your glory. Help us now as we sing prayerfully, asking you to teach us your way. May we listen. May your teaching to us be effective because our hearts have been softened to your truth. And may you truly answer this prayer for each of us. In Jesus' name, amen.